All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the first official episode of the Mainline Podcast. My name is Tyler Burton, and I am proud to be joined by my good friend, Adam Jacquez, uh, from down in the big city of Dallas. What's up, buddy? How are you? I'm doing good. I'm, I'm ready for some football. Absolutely. I guess it's, what, 11 days? We're 11 days out from kickoff now, and looks like we've got a quarterback finally announced. So we will uh, definitely dive into that. But, again, excited that we're finally doing this. I know that we've been talking about doing it for for quite some time, and we kind of played around with it a little bit last year during football season. But now we're going we're gonna to give it a go, and it's full steam ahead. So um, we'll just kind of kick things off, Adam, you know, kind of let everybody know you know, kind of kind of what, what you do, kind of what your background is and what's gotten you to this point that you're in right now. Yeah, so uh, I grew up a lifelong OU fan in North Carolina, uh, which is a little bit unusual, but I have a lot of family ties out here in Oklahoma and uh, ended up uh, choosing a career in sports, worked in a couple of different athletic departments uh, in the college level and then also in minor league baseball. And uh, as of this year, Chose a great time to jump out of live events and sports, and uh, I'm currently working in the uh, digital marketing um, area right now, uh, still doing sales, but um, just an all-around sports lover, uh, mainly with with OU athletics and then also uh, basketball and then the NBA as well. Very nice. Very nice. So, um, like I said, we we work together in the ticket office, and I'm sure that selling – you know, tickets and, you know, different corporate packages and things like that. Were you able to have any of that carry over that's kind of helped you into this new, you know, marketing position that you're in right now? Sure. Yeah. There's a, there's always things to, to carry around and, and build on. Um, but it's always good to challenge yourself with something new, I think. And um, I, I've been able to grow and, and learn a lot more as well over the last couple of months. Absolutely. Well, that's good to hear. Happy that you're doing well and excited about what's what's coming up for you. So, uh, well, well, that's Adam. Like I said, my name's my name's Tyler. Um, I was born in Oklahoma, um, but was actually I grew up and was raised in East Texas in the town called Tyler. Um, so, grew up there and then did my first two years of college uh, down at the University of Texas at Tyler before making the move back up here to Norman and uh, finishing my undergrad here at OU. Um, then during my time at OU, got involved in the athletic department, working in the marketing uh, as a marketing intern for a couple of years. And then after graduation, uh, that's how kind of how I met Adam, took a job in the, in the ticket office selling tickets for ma- mainly football, but we took care of all the other different sports around OU. So uh, a lot of good memories, met a lot of really good people, um, and we definitely had some times, both good and bad. So, um, but yeah, excited, excited to be doing this. Um, I think you're probably hard pressed to find um, two more diehard OU fans than the two guys that are here right now. So excited to be talking some sports, and we're like I said, we're going to cover all things OU. Um, but that's not just the that's not just the sole focus of it. We're we're going to be talking a lot of things happening around the sports world on the national national landscape. Uh, you know, a lot of the big topics, and then we're going to kind of switch it up each week. We'll you know ha- have some guests here and there, have some, a few different segments, uh, but excited to kind of kick this thing off. So. Well, Adam, let's just kind of dive right into it. Um, NBA bubble, uh, got it going on in the background right now. Uh, got game seven about to start. Um, and you and I, big time Oklahoma City Thunder fans, and they forced a game seven last night. So kind of, you know, what, what were your thoughts on the you know, the Thunder's 104-101 uh, win over the Rockets last night? You know, it was, it was a good win, obviously, because it extended the series. Um, but I don't know if you felt this way. I was watching it thinking, you know, this is probably the 
best performance the Thunder have had the entire series. But yet no one really stood out. Um, it was just kind of a collective team effort right until the fourth quarter, uh, which was where Chris Ball really took over and just absolutely dominated. And so, um, you know, he's been known throughout the year to really come in uh, in the clutch there and really close out a ton of games. So it'll be interesting to see if um, that's even more on display tomorrow night when we go into game seven, which is basically just the entire fourth quarter. It's going to be really intense. So it should be a lot of fun to watch. And kind of what you're referring to, I think it's really interesting. You know, the Thunder, I mean, Chris Paul is obviously the star player. You know, he's the kind of the uh, the guy that makes the makes the team go. But talking about that group effort last night when you've got Gallinari, you know, scoring 25 points, you know, going four from nine from three. Baisley had 22 big-time minutes. I know that that was huge for the Thunder. And, you know, Lou Dort having 13 points. I've screamed at my TV both times that he shot those three-pointers, but – uh, those back-to-back threes that he had, in those two possessions, you know, that really helps the the Thunder gain some momentum right there in the second half. So, um, but Chris Paul, man, like I'll be the first person to say that I've never really been a Chris Paul guy, you know, in, in large part, a lot of it was because of like the whining and the crying that he did, you, you know, playing the game when he was with the Clippers and the Rockets, but you know, putting on that Thunder jersey, watching him on a more consistent basis, night in and night out, I, I, I've gained so much respect for that dude. Like, he, dude's a baller, dude's a winner. He's a big-time leader, and he's been, you know, he, he's another coach on the floor for, for the Thunder, that's for sure. Yeah, I don't think that I am fully on board with him still just because I, I know that he's not long for this Thunder team. Uh, you know, tomorrow night could be his last game in a Thunder uniform. Um, and I definitely when we saw the technical foul last night when he um, got pretty, uh, pretty emotional after committing a foul that probably wasn't a foul in his mind, <laughs> it definitely reminded me of the reasons that I didn't like him when he wasn't yeah. on the Thunder. Um, but, yeah, overall he's been great for this team and, uh, and mentoring some of the other players. I do think one you know, player that we talk a lot about as far as the mentorship with him is SGA and, and how he's, he's growing into, into a star and, um, he's had a really up and down series so far. He really wasn't existent in games one and two. Then he was great in three and four, five. He was kind of okay. Six, just kind of there again. So um, he's been very up and down. We'll see what he can do and if he can contribute and really help out in a big way tomorrow. Well, and, and this is SGA's first playoff appearance. So, you know, who, who better to kind of, you know, learn how to play the game and, and go throughout a playoff series than, you know, under the wing of Chris Paul. So it'll definitely be interesting to see, you know, what, what happens tomorrow night. Um, you know, if, if you're Billy Donovan, Adam, going into tomorrow night's game, you've had some success. You've, all, you've also had a lot of stretches of basketball in this series where the Thunder have been outplayed and, and honestly the Rockets have dominated the, uh, the, the game. So if you're Billy Donovan, what can you take away from last night's game um, and kind of build upon it as they, try, as they go into a game seven tomorrow night where they've got a chance to make the Western Conference semifinals? Yeah, I think one thing that stands out is how good Baisley has been. Um, he was great last night, but he's been pretty solid throughout the entire series. And, uh, you know, I think you definitely notice the starting lineup has gotten a lot of criticism both in the first and third quarters for basically digging a hole pretty much every game. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I don't know necessarily that it's changing the lineup, but maybe playing that lineup fewer minutes and getting a guy like Bays in there, uh, for Steven Adams playing a little bit smaller, stretching the floor, because 
Uh, when Dort's out there and Adams are, are out there, they're both really just collapsing. The defense uh, is collapsing in on the lane. And so it's making it a lot tougher for guys like SGA and, and Schroeder to, to get in there and, and score some layups. And I'll definitely, you know, d- defer to you on this. You follow the team a lot more closely than I do. Um, but in, in a situation like this where, you know, Dennis Schroeder, I'd say for, you know, a majority of this series, he's been your best player on the floor. Um, does Billy Donovan, does he tweak things a little bit as far as maybe putting him into the starting lineup, kind of going to a, you know, a smaller guard, three-guard lineup with SGA and Chris Paul on the floor too? I think that would be a good move. I just don't believe that Billy will actually do it. <laughs> um, he's pretty rigid on his, uh, at least his starting lineup. Um, in fact, we saw it took him till I think the end of game three where he was almost forced basically to play uh, Gallo at the five and play really small. And a lot of people saw that beforehand and said, do it, do it, do it. And it took him <laughs> an injury to Steven Adams to actually do it. So I don't, I don't think he'll change it up. Um, will he play it less? Maybe. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you, you have a good point. Schroeder has been um, pretty, uh, pretty good other than game one. Uh, he's been the, I think the, the best player of the series for the Thunder. Absolutely. And I, I think that, you know, Steven Adams, you know, de- dealing with the injuries and, you know, he's been kind of banged up all series. I would definitely wouldn't mind, especially uh, tomorrow night's game seven, seeing Billy Donovan go to that smaller lineup where you do have Gallinari playing the five position, uh, get some more, get some more speed, some more shooting, you know, some more ball movement out on the floor. So uh, definitely going to be interesting, uh, excited uh, that, that it's coming up tomorrow night. Um I just I hope they win, man. I'm uh, not not ready for this for this season to end, and I had such low expectations. Didn't really know you know what, what to expect from the Thunder this year, and um, I, you know I saw online that I think that the Thunder had less than a ten percent chance to make the playoffs when it, whenever the season started, and you know now they're one game away from from advancing the second round. So uh, yeah. I'm really excited about it. So absolutely. Well, let's, uh, let's kind of transition. You know, we, we've got other teams involved in the NBA bubble, not just the Thunder. Um, but kind of what, what have been some of your biggest takeaways, um, you know, with the other series that are going on, you know, some, some star performances, uh, different things like that? Well, I think, uh, you know, last night before the Thunder played, we saw the Heat uh, knock off Milwaukee in game one. And so um, I, I think the Bucks are are in a in for a dogfight. They might be in trouble there with the Heat. Uh, Heat have just such a deep team with so Jimmy many Butler, playmakers man. on it. Yeah, uh, for sure. And and the Bucks, it's like you've got Giannis. Middleton has been up and down um, throughout the the playoffs so far. So I just wonder how far Giannis can really. Um, take a team just on his own and that's not to to slight him uh, or anything it's I mean that's true of pretty much any star in the NBA Um, so I just wonder if they have enough to to continue pushing and uh, and make the Eastern Conference Finals at least would you say that in the Eastern Conference right now is all of the pressure on the Bucks like is it is that what it is for Giannis I mean is it finals or bust or do you think that the competition level with the with the other teams, like the Celtics or Raptors, the Heat, um, kind of what, what do you think about that? You know, it's got to be all on the Bucks. I think, you know, the Raptors are the defending champs, but they don't have uh, Kawhi anymore. So they're essentially playing with house money. They weren't expected to be this good anymore. Uh, the Heat, you know, this is kind of more, you know, the beginning of their, their championship window with Jimmy Butler. So I don't think that there's much pressure on them. And, the Celtics, 
maybe have a little bit more pressure. Um, but still, you look at them, you know, their key pieces are all very young. It's their first year with Kimball Walker. So it, it's all on the Bucks right now. Um, and I, I think, you know, Giannis has won an MVP award. So uh, there's a lot expected from them. I know that when we talked a couple of weeks ago, kind of right when the bubble got started and, you know, games one and two were being played, uh, we both kind of, you know, chatted and agreed that, you know, it was it was the L.A. teams coming out of the West, and we really didn't know if there would be another challenger uh, in, in the Western Conference. But um, just just my initial thoughts, I haven't been totally impressed with, with the Lakers. Uh, I mean, they, kinda, they can kind of turn it on and off, um, you know, Le- LeBron and Anthony Davis. So, um, as much as I want to see the Thunder win tonight, I'm definitely eager to see what a Lakers-Rockets matchup would look like, seeing, you know, uh, you know James Harden, Russell Westbrook going against LeBron and Anthony Davis, the, the, the amount of scoring, the amount of athleticism on that court, uh, definitely something that I would, you know, be eager to see. But, you know, Thunder up, baby. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, the Lakers, LeBron, Anthony Davis, that's almost all you need to say. I not very impressed with the rest of their team at all. <laughs> but, um, I mean, LeBron and AD will win you a lot of games, even in the playoffs. So, it's it's going to be tough to beat them. I think it's possible, though. Okay. Bef- uh, before the uh, Utah and Denver uh, tip-off, does Jamal Murray see score 50 again tonight? <laughs> uh, I'm going to take the safe answer here and say no. Taking the under but, on that? Uh, but he has been on – Fire. That that back and forth between he and Donovan Mitchell, that's it's it's been it's been awesome to watch. I've I've been kind of blown away with you know the quality of basketball that we've gotten, you know, from these teams inside the NBA bubble. It's it's been kind of weird, especially, you know, those those first few games, you know, not having live fans on on the core. But I think that the NBA's done a you know a terrific job with the virtual fans pumping in the crowd noise. Um uh, so I've been yeah. thoroughly impressed and honestly it hasn't been that different watching it each night. No, it hasn't. And you got to think that, you know, having no travel has really helped the players a lot. So um, I, I've been I've been really impressed. And I, I was a little nervous coming in that we might look at the champion of this and go, oh, it's some random team you know, that we weren't expecting to win. And this isn't really a legitimate championship. But uh, no, we're, it's, it's going to be real. So uh, it's exciting. Well, the, let's kind of we kind of wrap that up with our NBA bubble talk, and you know, kind of kind of switch over here, talk some college football, uh, both locally and national. But we'll start with our our team right here in Norman. I know that uh, Lincoln Riley had a press conference today, and he finally uh, made the announcement. I know that we've all been kind of expecting it since the uh, uh, LSU game last year, but Spencer Rattler is going to be the starting quarterback. Uh, when OU takes on Missouri State next Saturday night at 6 p.m. We also got that information as well. That's going to be live on pay-per-view. So we'll be interested to see how that goes. But um, Spencer Rattler, man, kind of kind of what are your thoughts, dude? Five-star quarterback coming in. This, is, this has been uh, Lincoln's baby. This will be his first high school quarterback that he's recruited. Uh, that will be taking the, taking the field for, for OU this year. Yeah, um, and – if there's someone that's prepared for that type of pressure and that type of spotlight, you got to think it's Spencer Radler. Um, but uh, he's got some big shoes to fill. And it'll be interesting because we have a reduced season. There's only 10 regular season games. So the stats likely won't look the same. Um, I mean, he'll probably be able to outdo Jalen Hurts passing-wise. But, <laughs> but he's not going to be able to match Baker Mayfield or Kyler Murray numbers, even if he is that good just by nature of the number of games. So it'll be interesting to see how the season plays out and if 
um, you know, what the perception will be. Um, there's there's going to be so many unknowns, potential things that could go wrong. You know, I don't know if you watched uh, Austin P and uh, Central Arkansas the other day, but all <laughs> three of their long snappers didn't make the trip. So they basically couldn't get a punt off. Um, so, I mean, there's just going to be things like that, that that probably happened this year um, that are just so out of the normal. And so we'll see how he's able to battle through it. But um, it is exciting to see, you know, the, the hand-picked uh, player that, that Lincoln has chosen and how that uh, will play out. Well, I know that we caught some flashes of it last year. Um, you know, the, the arm strength, the talent, the, the pocket awareness. Um, you, you know, there's, there's definitely a lot there. And, you know, the, the expectations for this kid going into last year, I would say even before Jalen Hurts got on campus, the, you know, f- following up two Heisman Trophy winners and, and following up the performances that Baker and Kyler, you know, put out there for three straight years was going to be huge. But kind of something that I thought about earlier, talking about expectations, you know, not only are you following those two, following Jalen Hurts and other Heisman finalists, but really the, the pressure is on this kid to, to perform you know, this season and perform well because because of what you've got coming in next year and the expectations and the, you know, the high remarks that are getting placed on Caleb Williams out of D.C. So um, I, th- I think that this kid definitely can definitely can do it, and I'm sure as heck not going to bet on a quarterback in Lincoln Riley's system. So um, very, very excited to, to see what this kid can do. And like I said, it, it gets started in just 11 short days. So, um, yeah. Well, you know, something that's interesting is, you know, people like to make fun of OU, like they can only do it with transfer quarterbacks. But when you look at Chris Robeson, he's kicked off the team. He went to Florida Atlantic. He had a, you know, moment where he was off the team. He's back on the team. He wasn't starting. He was starting. He had a great year last year, you know, by Florida Atlantic standards, then was kicked off the team this summer. So he's a head case. Um, But at least he seemed like he had the talent and the skills set to to succeed. so at least you, you kind of know, hey, yeah, Lincoln Riley found the right high school guy, even if he was probably a troublemaker head case. <laughs> and you look at Austin Kendall, um, and I don't know, he played so limited mop-up duty at OU, but in the few opportunities that he was out there, it just didn't feel right. And that's hard to judge a kid off of just a few plays here and there. Um, but even then when he went to West Virginia – couldn't hang on to the starting job and by the end of the year was replaced by a transfer from Bowling Green, I think. <laughs> um, and that's how it's expected to go this year. He's not going to be the starter there either. So well, that's kind of interesting. We were, uh, we were still expected to believe that there was a true quarterback battle going on between Austin Kendall and Kyler Murray. So, yeah, but, um, but yeah, I mean, clearly you look at Spencer Radler, as you mentioned, even in the backup minutes, you can tell he's got a, he's got a cannon. And so um, he's going to – I think he's going to put up some big numbers. I, th- I think that this year having Rattler under center, that's going to allow Riley to kind of bring – open up the playbook in its entirety. Uh, I know mm-hmm. that with Jalen last year, you were very limited as far as what you could do in the throw game just because, you know, he, d- he didn't have the arm talent. When it, like I said, he was good, but he didn't have the same arm talent as what you would see the past few years with, with a Kyler and a Baker and, um, you know, Spencer, you know, he, he's going to exceed the, exceed those expectations as well. So, but we'll, we'll kind of dive into it a little bit more next week when we do our, you know, our, our full episode on, on the OU season preview. But, you know, R- Rattler, one of the good things that he's got going for him um, is he's got all five starting offensive linemen back from last year. I know that they're playing around a little bit with the left tackle position, but, 
you know, when you've got Creed Humphrey, uh, you know, he'll be a first-round pick, probably, you know, be the uh, best center in the country this year. But when you've got him uh, on the offensive line and then all the weapons that he's going to have around him, even though it's a lot of unproven weapons, they're still extremely talented on that side of the football. So, um, well, let's, uh, you know, kind of transition here. Not only did we get the Missouri State time announced earlier today, 6 p.m. on pay-per-view, but Sooner fans, a uh, couple more 11 a.m. kickoffs to start the year. Uh, Kansas State here in Norman will be an 11 a.m. kick. And then for the Red River Showdown down in Dallas, OU Texas will be kicking things off at 11 a.m. inside the State Fair. So uh, did you get a chance to check out any of the comments on Twitter or Facebook? Everybody pissed off about the 11 a.m. kickoffs? I, I just don't understand it. Like, what are people expecting to be different? <laughs> we should not be used to it by now. Yeah. I, I mean, we knew this was coming because the Pac-12, they never get 11 a.m. games. They're not playing. The Big Ten is not playing. They're the only competition that we have for that Fox 11 a.m. slot, uh, which is basically just Ohio State. Maybe Michigan or Penn State might get in there here or there. But, I mean, Fox has that 11 a.m. slot for a reason because it draws really well, um, you know, for viewership. And that's how it's going to be this year. It's going to flip between OU and Texas. Yep. Probably going to be OU most of the time just because, I mean, if things go as we expect, OU will be the, the higher-ranked team. So let's get used to this. It's what's going to happen, especially this year. And, um, you know, people look at that and go, well, it's the least desirable time. You know, no one's watching. Well, that's not true, really. I mean, more people are watching that 11 a.m. Fox game than they are a 2.30 ESPN game. Well, and Fox is even coming out, you know, with, with statistics showing that, you know, their largest viewership where, you know, the biggest time slot where they do have the most eyeballs on the screen is that 11 a.m. kickoff. So, you know, I, I don't think OU fans have, have, you know, come to grips and understand that, you know, it, it's not the Big 12 and it's not, you know, Joe C's fault that, that OU's playing at 11 a.m. This is the contract that they've got with the TV networks. And, you know, when you don't have an Ohio State or Michigan playing football this year, then – of course, Fox is going to want to put their best team, you know, on their primetime position, and that's that's Oklahoma. So, um, but you know, with with all the other games that we've got going on, I personally don't mind 11 a.m. kickoffs because, you know, I'm, I'm up early. I don't like waiting around all day to to watch the Sooners, you know, kick some ass. But uh, your game's over by 2:30, then you got the whole rest of the day to do whatever and, and check out all the other games going on around the country. So, um, I agree. Hundred percent. It's we're we're used to it by now, so we'll uh, just take it take it for another year. So one thing that is going to be interesting, and you know, I, I'm sure that you saw the announcement that was made last week, but the uh, no tailgating policy that's going to be going on around Gaylord Family, Oklahoma Memorial Stadium, uh, no tailgating is going to be allowed on University grounds. So I'm not entirely sure how they're going to go about enforcing that when when you're going to have fifty, sixty, seventy thousand people around the stadium. Um, but I still think that people are going to figure out a way to, to kind of go around that. Yeah, it's going to be so hard to regulate and police that. Um, and the rules of like what is a tailgate, what's not a tailgate is a little bit fuzzy. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I mean, it's going to be a mess. But, you know, I'm curious to see – you know, how, how it changes as the season goes on. I'm sure the first game, everyone will be very cautious and look around and try to see what, you know, other people are doing. And then as, you know, we get into game two, three, four, people will try to do a little bit more and see what they can get away with. So 
Um, well, I, it'll, it'll be a unique situation. Well, I can definitely see, you know, the, the typical tailgate groups that, that happen every year where, you know, you've got 10, 20, 30 people under a bunch of tents, you know, partying, grilling out, different things like that. That's obviously not going to be allowed. And I think people are going to shy away from doing that. But when you're talking about these, you know, these families and these groups that, you know, they drive to the game, they pull into their parking spot, what keeps them from, you know, pulling out three or four lawn chairs and, you know, setting up the cornhole and, you know, opening up the cooler and, and having a good time that way. So it'll be interesting to see how the, how the uh, uh, university and, you know, Norman police kind of enforces that. Um, and like I said, game one, we'll, we'll just kind of see how it goes. It'll be a test run and it'll be interesting to see how, how the rest of the season plays out. So, uh, but kind of, you know, what, one or two other more, you know, little things that I wanted to hit Adam, uh, kind of some things that are going on, you know, on the national landscape of college football, uh, Jamar Chase, uh, LSU's leading receiver and probably their best player that was coming back this year. He's decided to forgo this year, and basically he's just going to prep for the for the NFL draft and get ready for his pro career. Um, and just so I just kind of wanted to ask you, um, is this him opting out, is this setting a dangerous precedent for years to come with players deciding that, hey, I'm just going to sit out this year. I've proven everything that I need to prove. Um, I'm just going to sit out, you know, get in the weight room, get bigger, faster, stronger, and get ready for my pro career. I mean, who is it dangerous to? NFL teams that might draft someone that's not completely proven or a player that might slip in the draft? Or, I mean, who, who is it dangerous to? Uh, I, I mean, I guess you could see it from both ways. Um, I guess what I'm thinking of is if a player, you know, has one or two really good years to start out, you know, he, he kills it his freshman and sophomore year and – uh, he, he decides that, okay, like I've, I think I've proven all I need to prove and I'm, I'm going to sit this year out, whereas the NFL might say, well, you know, we really could have – we would have liked to see you develop in these areas or seeing you take a step in this direction. So look, look at look – at we'll, we'll take Kennedy Brooks for an example. He's deciding to opt out. He might come back and play it next year. He might not. He might choose to go to the NFL. Um, but I could definitely see a case in which you've got these – college athletes these college football players that have good starts to their career they don't want to go to they don't want to continue on with school they don't want to continue to go through the you know the springtime the summer workouts and they just say hey I've done all I need to do I've done everything I need to, to prove who I am and how good I am as a football player so I'm going to sit this year out and play pro football next year yeah I mean I don't like it at all um guess what I'm saying I, I, I feel like it's going to devalue the product the quality of the product that, that could be put on the field each year? Possibly. I just don't know that there's enough guys out there that it, that'll happen where suddenly, you know, teams, oh, there's so many teams that are no good and sloppy play. Like, I just think more guys will, will step up. Now, this is a product of, you know, and I careful what you ask for, but this is a product of, you know, all the people out there saying, oh, everyone should get paid. And these guys work too hard not to make money. And, um, you know, all these players should have empowerment, yada, yada, yada. And, you know, I, I'm not saying I disagree with all those things or, or, or agree with them or, or what. But, um, I mean, this is kind of what you are developing, a mindset where they decide, hey, I should only be getting paid for this. And so, um, I don't know how that'll eventually play out, you know, because I think this is here to stay. I don't think it's going to start – it's only going to disappear next year. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if Jamar Chase next year says I'm – you know, if, if he was 
if it was happening a year later, if he said, well, I'm just not going to play, does his scholarship get taken away? I mean, is there an agent that's willing to sign him and pay him enough money to survive for a year? I'm curious how that works out. Yeah. So I I hope it doesn't continue to grow, but I I think it's unfortunately it's here to stay. Well, it's kind of something that, uh, that COVID, you know, kind of, kind of brought on, but I could definitely see it happening um, and continuing to happen for, for years to come. So, well, let's, uh, let's kind of dive into our, our national football preview. Like I said, next week, we're going to be, you know, really breaking down the Oklahoma Sooners, what the 2020 team is going to look like, kind of talk through their schedule and, and what our predictions will be for that. But uh, let's start in the ACC, man. Um, I know that that's kind of Clemson's conference right now. Um, hasn't been really hardly any challengers uh, to, to Dabo Sweeney and the, and the Tigers the last few years. So, um, you know, kind of just what are your initial thoughts on the ACC? Is it Clemson and then everybody else? Or do you, do you think there's a, a team or two that can give them a run for their money this year? I mean, with the addition of Notre Dame, uh, that's the, the clear obvious one. They've got the talent that's in the same atmosphere as Clemson. Um, I, I don't think that they're going to be able to keep up with them unless, you know, something fluky happens where – Trevor Lawrence is quarantined the ACC championship game or something but um that wouldn't happen but I, no but uh but all things equal you know Clemson's still I think uh well ahead of even where Notre Dame is and then you know just below that a lot of people are talking about UNC I know Sam Howell is really good I'm not as ready to crown UNC as like this big contender um just yet I think they're probably need to still build up some depth. Um, you know, Mac Brown's recruiting really well, but that's going to take a, a year or two yeah. um, to get there. So I'm not as high on them. Well, I, I'm at the point right now where I, I still think it's Clemson in a league of their own, and then everybody else is is fighting for second place. You know, ESPN's football power index gives Clemson, I think it was a 54% chance to go undefeated this year and a 93% chance of making the college football playoff, which is double. <laughs> of what anybody else's chances are from a percentage standpoint. So I, I think that it is Clemson head and shoulders above everybody else when you've got, uh, you know, Trevor Lawrence coming back, Travis Etienne, you know, their, their recruiting has been, you know, ridiculous the last few years. And even though they, you know, they continue to lose guys to the NFL, they're bringing in five-star kids left and right. So uh, Clemson, I think, is definitely in a league of their own. Notre Dame, it'll be interesting, you know, kind of how the ACC absorbed them this year. Uh, like I said, they've, they've got the talent that's almost on the same level as Clemson. Um, so I think that that could be kind of a thorn in Clemson's size. That, that'll be their toughest game this year. Um, and like I said, I, I don't want don't, don't to underestimate what Brian Kelly can do. So it'll be, it'll be very exciting to see what Notre Dame can do uh, being, a part of, being part of a conference for a year. Um, and then kind of what you were referring to, North Carolina, you know, Mac Brown. I think that North Carolina, I don't, I don't want to say they overachieved last year, but they were kind of flying under the radar. Nobody really had any expectations or, or you know, thought that they were going to be as, as good as they were uh, in Sam Howell's first year. But I, I like the kid. I think that he's got a, he's got a lot of really good tools, um, kind of in the same boat with you. I'm not ready to, you know, say that he's the – you know, the, the next, you know, the next best thing, or, you know, he's a, he's a Heisman candidate. He's a very good player. Um, so, you know, definitely excited to see the, the steps that he's going to take moving into a second year. Um, but, you know, Clemson, Notre Dame, North Carolina, I think that that's your top three, although I don't really see anybody else giving Clemson, you know, a, a huge challenge. 
No. Uh, I do think, you know, you could see a team like Louisville or Virginia Tech really challenge for that third or maybe even second spot. Um, both of those teams have some returning quarterbacks that um, were younger but have played pretty well so far. And so um, uh, we could see that, but I, I do think Notre Dame uh, is the team to beat for that second spot. It'll, it'll be interesting to see with the Big Ten and the Pac-12 not playing. I think that two teams from one conference is is definitely getting into the playoffs this year. Um, obviously, the SEC is probably the prohibited favorite to get two in, but I could definitely see a situation where, you know, Clemson runs the table, you know, say they beat Notre Dame in the regular season. Notre Dame runs the table. The only loss that they have is to Clemson, and then say Notre Dame beats Clemson in the in the ACC championship game. So, could definitely see something like that happening, but um, I've got Clemson winning the ACC this year. I don't really see them getting tested or pushed. Maybe outside of Notre Dame, um, that'll catch that'll get their attention. But I think that it's Clemson head and shoulders above everybody else this year. Yeah, you bring up a good point there. We don't have the AAC on our agenda today, but if there is a year for them to make the playoffs, I mean, like this would be kind of the <laughs> the easy free year to get one of those teams in. I just – I don't know if that's going to happen, though. I, you may have seen today, like, I think UCF had 13 players opt out already, and Memphis had their, their star running back opt out the other day. So maybe only Cincinnati's the real option there. But, um, I mean, I, I would love to see an AAC, AAC team in the playoffs. So either they could get totally demolished or at least show that they're they can win and, you know – they should be considered in the future, but I, I think it'd be good to have that rather than just having people going back and forth and not really giving them a chance um, in another year. Well, and I think you're right too, you know, with two of the five power five conferences not playing this year, if, if, if they're going to have a chance to do it, this will be the year too. Um, but like I said, that's the easy part. They're going to have to run the table, you know, make a good case for themselves and probably have a little bit of help with, with these other three conferences kind of beating up on each other. So, well, let's transition um, over to the SEC um, down the Southeastern Conference. Um, I know that uh, kind of one of the things that we wanted to do just to kind of kick things off, um, kind of put a little spin on things, was the uh, over-under on the win totals. For a few of these teams, I just picked out six teams right here that Vegas has set the, the line on over under total amount of wins for the year. Uh, Alabama, LSU, Georgia, Florida, Texas A&M, and the mighty Arkansas Razorbacks. So um, let's, let's just start with, uh, let's start with Bama, man. Looks like Vegas has them set, uh, predicted their win total at eight games this year. Um, what's, your, uh, what's your over under, man? What are you going with? For Bama, I do have the over – uh, you know, they've got the most talent in the SEC. And I just don't see a scenario where they're going to lose two games. Um, you know, they play Georgia at home. They play Auburn at home. They're on the road to LSU. Home field difference is going to be, you know, not nearly as much as it is in, in most years. And I think LSU is going to take a major step back. So I don't see, I don't see them losing to both Auburn and Georgia. I total agreeance with you. If if I'm betting on this, I'm hammering the over. I don't see there's any way in which they don't go nine and one, or at least ten and zero. Um, like I said, Georgia at home, that's going to be their toughest game of the year. And the other two games that I think could give them some fits, uh, Texas A&M and Auburn, they get both of those inside or in Tuscaloosa. So um, I've got them going nine and one or ten and zero. 
Um, LSU, total agreements with you, dude, on that. I think they take a huge step back. Um, you know, I sent that sent that graphic to you over there uh, over the other day, the the depth chart from the national championship game last year, and just that that offense and defense. They they lost a ton of talent, a lot of guys to the NFL, a lot of guys graduating. And not to mention, also, they lost their offense and defensive coordinator. So, breaking in a brand-new quarterback, a lot of new faces. Vegas has LSU's win total set at seven. I would seriously consider betting a large amount of money, now that we can bet on sports, taking the under on that, because I don't see any way that LSU wins more than six games this year. Um, I've got them losing at Florida, going down to the Swamp, losing there. At Auburn's a loss. Bama's a loss. I'm going to give Texas A&M a little bit of credit uh, with it being at Kyle Field. Again, I know it's not 100,000 people, but I think LSU is going to take a step back this year. I've got them falling to A&M also uh, and going six and four. So t- give me the under on that. Yeah, I'm 100% agreeance on that. I'm pretty sure that their water boy even took a promotion at a new new school. So they've lost everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Let's uh, let's let's head over to uh, Georgia now. So Bulldogs, Vegas has got their over under win total set at eight and a half. And just like I did with Alabama, I'm going to take the over on Georgia. Also, um, when it comes to Bama and Georgia, I think that that's the one loss for either of those teams on their schedule. Um, I've got I've got Georgia losing to to Bama to go nine and one this year, but I that I still think that they're going to win nine games. Uh, especially given the fact that they get Florida – or, excuse me, they get Auburn and Tennessee at home, um, world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Florida is always a toss-up game, rivalry. Uh, but I think that by the time that that game gets there, a little bit later in the year, I think that whichever quarterback emerges, whether it's Jamie Newman, uh, whether it's JT Daniels, I think that they'll have that offense, you know, humming. Um, but I've, I've got Georgia. Give me the over on that. They're going to go 9-1 and one or 10-0. and 0. Okay. I completely disagree with you. <laughs> what? No. Um, so I am I... not a big believer in Jamie Newman. Um, he was a great fantasy player for me last year at Wake Forest, uh, even though he was a bit inconsistent. Um, but, uh, I mean, it was at Wake Forest. So um, he was playing with one of the best receivers in the country last year. And um, he was still, you know, good but not great, in my opinion. Um, the competition at Wake Forest is a lot less than it'll be at Georgia. So I'm not a huge believer in that. JT Daniels might end up taking over that job, um, but I also haven't seen a whole lot from him either yet. Um, He hasn't had a whole lot of opportunity when he was at USC. So I'm not convinced on them. You know, I look at their schedule and see Auburn, Florida, Alabama, even maybe like a, a Tennessee might be a little bit tougher this year. It's going to be tough. I mean, the, the over-under is at eight and a half. To go through that with only one loss, I think I think that's asking a lot. I think that Jamie Newman starts out the year um, as a starting quarterback for, for Kirby Smart, but I could definitely see, and I think that JT Daniels will end up taking that starting job. You know, I, I think he is a, a much better passer. Um, and really, you know, kind of what's been – What's been the thing that's been holding Georgia back the last few years? You know, they've, they've had a dominant defense, had an incredible running game. But Jake Fromm was, you know, pretty underwhelming when it came to pushing the ball down the field. So, uh, I think that JT Daniels will be a good fit for this offense, and they're going to have a really good offensive line. That running back room is always, you know, rich with talent down there in Georgia. So, um, I'll, I'll definitely keep an eye on that one because I think that they're going to – I think that they're going to go over on that, but would definitely – 
would not mind seeing Georgia, you know, t- take a few extra losses this year. So uh, we got Florida, A&M, and Arkansas. Which one do you want next, Adam? Uh, let's talk Florida. Uh, we've got the over-under on them at seven and a half. I okay. do have them on the over. Okay. And, um, you know, I'm basing that mainly off of, you know, I, I like what they have at quarterback. Kyle Trask is experienced. He's, he's solid. I think he's, he's one of the better quarterbacks um, at the Power 5 level. So um, I like their schedule the way it plays out, too. Um, they really don't have a tough game until – November 7th, I mean, Ole Miss, South Carolina, A&M, LSU, those are medium level of toughness to me. Then they get Missouri, and then they're Georgia and Jacksonville. Um, And then they finish out with Arkansas, Vanderbilt, Kentucky, and at Tennessee. It's not particularly a daunting schedule. Um, So, I mean, they can even go through that, just lose to Georgia, and they're easily over. So I think that's a pretty easy over for me. Yeah, I'm taking the over on that as well. kind of what you were learning to it is a very favorable schedule um starts off pretty not not easy um but it, it is a very favorable schedule especially early on you know trips to Ole Miss uh at a that'll be a, a, a little bit tougher contest but LSU Missouri at home uh could definitely see uh Florida going five and oh uh and the good thing for them they got a bye week uh before that big game against the Bulldogs so uh I'm definitely taking the over on that I think they're an eight nine win team for sure um, and I think that people are sleeping on Florida a little bit, um, especially given the fact that most people have LSU ranked ahead of Florida. So don't really know what the logic is behind that thinking, but I'm definitely taking the over when it comes to the Florida Gators. So um, let's head down to College Station, head down to Aggieville. Uh, Jimbo Fisher going into his second year. Kellen Mond back under center, uh, quarterback in the Aggies. Vegas has got their over-under set at seven wins. Um this was a tough one for me. Uh, like, like I said, you know, being OU fans, we're always, you know, always getting into it with a fans, you know, online, message boards, everything's like that. Vegas has got it set at seven. I took the under on this one. I've got A&M going six and four. Um, Vanderbilt to kick things off, that's an easy win. But then they've got back-to-back games against uh, Bama and Tuscaloosa, Florida. I think they lose both of those games. Then they go on a little bit of run Well, they're, where uh, – They'll win three games. I have them losing at Tennessee just because if there's one thing that A&M's known for, it's they start the year off strong, but then, you know, once the calendar flips into November, then it, it kind of starts spiraling, spiraling downhill. So uh, I've got them losing to Tennessee, and I've got them losing the season finale when they go to Auburn. So six and four, Texas A&M, another underwhelming year for the uh, Aggie fans down in College Station. I feel the exact same way. I took the the under, um, and I think in going through this exercise, A&M was the toughest one to to pick a side on, mainly because you look at those two Mississippi schools. I think Ole Miss could be solid. Mississippi State probably has a little bit more of a of a philosophy change with Mike Leach in town, <laughs> but but they I think they do have a, a good quarterback and a really good running back as well. So. I, I don't know what to expect out of either of the Mississippi schools. They could be easy wins. They could be really difficult, you know, 50-50 games. But if A&M is in a 50-50 game, I don't like their odds. <laughs> so um, just knowing them as a program, I mean, going under on the seven um, made the most sense. And we could we could devote an entire segment to this topic, but j- just let me get your thoughts on this. What, what's the appealing factor to, to going to A&M? I know that year in and year out there's always recruiting battles. 
with with OU and Texas A&M. OU gets their fair share. A&M does the same. What's the draw to A&M? Is it strictly playing in the SEC? Is it Kyle Field playing in front of 110,000 fans? I just don't understand why kids would choose to go to Texas A&M when it's strictly about football when your expectations each year is to be a finished third or fourth in your own division. I mean, I guess a lot of these guys don't have very long memories. Um, and, you know, if you can go on a visit there and see how big the stadium is, how nice the facilities are, so on and so forth. I, I mean, you don't hear very many stories about people leaving a cult. So. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm going I'm to let it be on that one. We're, we'll, we'll, we'll move on to Arkansas on that. Uh, Arkansas, Vegas has – God, the, the – my God, Vegas has the over/under set for the Arkansas Razorbacks at one and a half. A ten-game schedule. Vegas thinks they're either going to win one or two games. So, as difficult as this was, I took the under. And let me let me tell you why, Adam. They play Georgia, at Auburn, Ole Miss, at A&M, Tennessee, at Florida, LSU at Missouri, Bama. I think, that they, I think that they lose to every single team, and the two wild cards are, the Mississippi, are, are Mississippi State and Missouri. And both of those games are on the road this year. So it's kind of discouraging when, when you think that their two most winnable games are road games this year. But I could easily see Arkansas going 1-9 and nine this year. So give me the under on that. I think they go one and nine in Sam Pittman's first year down in Fayetteville. Yeah, I this was a pretty easy under for me. I think they go zero and ten. I don't even think they can <laughs> knock off Missouri. I mean, they're one of the worst Power Five teams. Sam Pittman's got a lot of work ahead of them. Dude, they and got do, boat raced by North Texas last year. Yeah, I, I, they just got beat by so many teams. Um, it's it's sad. I mean, their fans are are really loyal down there. So hopefully Pittman can get it turned around and, and, you know, put something on the field that's respectable for how loyal those fans are. But I I just look at this and I I think especially this year with COVID, I mean, it's going to take a lot of willpower for these kids to make it through a season um, with everything that's going on and to continue following all the protocols and extra stuff that's going on. And I think this is, you know, a, a team that could get off to a really bad start and it may go downhill quickly. Well, like I said, when your first, when two of your first three games are against Georgia and Auburn, and you're breaking in a first-year head coach with not the best talent group in the world, uh, it's going to be a be a pretty tough season, I'm afraid, for for Sam Pittman. So, um, well, conference championship. Um, what what have you got? Who do you have as the two teams that are going to be meeting up in Atlanta? I've got Bama and Florida. You know, I I'm not as high on Georgia. I, I like the experience that Florida has coming back at the quarterback position. Uh, and, you know, Kirby Smart, just I don't have a ton of confidence in him, um, especially with a new quarterback. So uh, I'm rolling with the Gators. I'm very happy to see that. Um, I've got Bama versus Florida as well. Um, I think that Bama runs the table, goes 9-1 and one or 10-0. and 0. They play Florida in the SEC championship game. And I think that Florida coming into that game, they'll have they'll have one, potentially two losses heading into Atlanta. Bama beats them, knocks them out of playoff contention. 
I think that Alabama is your SEC champion and represents the SEC in the playoff this year. So uh, let's move back over here into uh, kind of home home country uh, to conference that we are all too well familiar with, and that is the Big 12. Um, I know that this year um, it's it's going to be a little different, not which you know with having a ten game schedule, but also. Uh, a lot of new faces, uh, a lot of teams this year that I think could be a little bit more competitive than, than years past. Um, so just kind of what are your initial thoughts uh, for the Big 12 this year? Yeah, I, I honestly think the Big 12 was probably going to be the most wide open league. Um, and so it's going to be just very strange. We'll see how it goes off if teams are really affected by – you know, players in quarantine, things like that. Um, hopefully that's not a, a major uh, issue for most teams on the, uh, on the conference. But, um, you know, you look at OU and it's, it's really just pick them until they prove you're wrong. Um, but I think that's the safe pick as, as the leader. Well, I know that I've picked OU to win the conference the, the last five years. And this has been the toughest conference for me to kind of predict um, as far as who is, is going to win, who's going to be kind of those top two teams um, representing in the, in the conference championship game. So um, I, like, I like where OU sits, um, mainly because they, they are talented. They've got Lincoln Riley as the head coach, and there's a lot of expectations going on for Spencer Rattler. But um, even though OU has had some key departures on both sides of the football from last year with C.D. Lamb, Kenneth Murray, Neville Gallimore, um, it's, it's definitely going to be interesting to see what also the suspensions of, of three very key players also. OU's got a ton of talent on both sides of the football, but I think a lot of it's just unproven. There's not a lot of guys that have experience in those big-time moments where you're playing in Texas, you're playing in a bedlam. So OU's going to have some growing up to do. I think that they'll have a chance to, to grow up fast with Missouri State having a bye week, K-State to kick things off. So that'll be a good time for them to get their feet wet before they really hit the meat of their schedule. Um, as far as the – I think that there's four teams that, that are seriously in play uh, to, to win the, the conference this year. Three for sure. I'll go with a wild card for the fourth. Oklahoma State, I, I'm not totally buying into the hype just because Gundy always seems to find a way to kind of screw things up and not get the full amount out of his team, especially when they do have the high expectations. Um, but Oklahoma State, you know, that three-headed monster with Spencer Sanders – um, you know, Tylen Wallace, Chuba Hubbard, they're, they're going to put up a lot of points this year. They should have the best defense in the Big 12. Um, so I like where Oklahoma State sits. Texas is a, is a wild card. They're probably the most talented team in the Big 12 on paper uh, with the amount of five-star, four-star talent that they have. But if there's one thing that we know about Texas is nobody does less with more than the fine folks down in Austin. So um, I think the Texas having Sam Ellinger back feels like he's been there for 10 years going into his, going into his senior year. They'll have a pretty good talent, pretty good amount of depth in the running back room, especially having B John Robinson joining the room this year uh, and nine starters back on defense highlighted by uh, safety. Caden Stern too, I think it's going to be just a, an absolute stud, especially in the NFL when, when that time comes. So give me OU OSU Texas as, as my top three, Iowa State is a sleeper for me. I like Brock Purdy. I like head coach Matt Campbell. Um, kind of what we were talking about with Gundy, nobody or with Texas, nobody does less with more. If there's anybody that truly gets the most out of his guys, what we've seen the last few years, it is Matt Campbell. Um, one thing that I will say, though, that I think is going to trip Iowa State up, they do get OU at home, but 
their two toughest road games this year are at Stillwater against OSU and down in Austin against Texas. So give me OU, OSU in the Big 12 championship game, and give me Oklahoma to win it for the sixth year in a row. So no bias whatsoever. I mean, I have almost the exact same uh, picks there. Uh, I went back and forth on who would play OU in the championship game, um, but at the end of the day, OSU has the, the better schedule. They have Iowa State and Texas at home. So I, I like that a little bit better than Texas playing at OSU. Um, so that's really all it came down to. Texas has a lot of talent returning, um, you know, big-time recruits and things like that. I, I think Sam Ellinger is what he is. I, I don't know that there's much room for him to improve. Um, you know, he's solid. I, I just don't know if he's going to take you much further than he already has. Uh, and then Iowa State, I listed them as my sleeper team, but it feels like almost everybody is choosing them as a sleeper. So I don't know if that really applies anymore. But you got to look at that. I mean, this is probably Brock Purdy's final year. He's probably going to have a great year go pro. And, uh, but he's got some really great talent around him in, in Brees Hall at running back and Charlie Kohler, the Norman native uh, at tight end. So I think they've, they've got a lot of weapons there. They'll be, they'll be dangerous. I think uh, and so, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I do have OU and OSU in my championship game. Um, I, it makes me not feel great because I just don't trust OSU, especially Gundy and, and Spencer Sanders, but uh, we'll see. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm definitely excited. Um, this will be one of those years where I think that the, the gap between kind of the four-headed monster, OU, OSU, Texas, and Iowa State, I think that there is a pretty good gap between those four and the rest of the teams in the conference. But the bottom-tier teams, like a Texas Tech, like a Kansas State, you're going to have to play well to beat those guys. I mean, if there's one thing that we found out last year, OU got into a dogfight against Texas Tech in the beginning, and then we all know what happened up in Manhattan. So I think that it's going to be extremely competitive week in and week out, no matter who you're playing, with the exception of Kansas, of course. Um, but I definitely think that the Big 12 this year will be highly competitive, and you're going to have to play well each and every week to, you know, to, to come out with a victory. So, um, And then let me, I want to get your thoughts on this before we move on to our next topic. To me, the Big 12 this year, if you're OSU, if you're Texas, this is your shot. You have no excuse going into this year to not be a serious challenger to Oklahoma to win the conference this year. We mentioned it with Texas, having Sam Ellinger back, nine starters on defense, the skill positions that are going to be far superior talented than they have been in years past. Oklahoma State mentioned the three-headed monster, the starters that they're going to have back on defense. Oklahoma's breaking in a brand-new quarterback, a lot of new faces on both sides of the ball. If OSU and Texas are going to finally take that last step up and knock OU off, it's going to have to be this year because OU, they're, they're recruiting at a much higher level than they have been in the past on both sides of the ball. Rattler's only going to get better, we hope, as he you know moves into his sophomore and junior year. We know what Caleb Williams is coming in with. So what do you think? No excuses this year for OSU and Texas? I mean, you got to think so, and, and especially considering our best defensive player as it stands today is suspended for the first five or six games of the year. Stay off the weed, and, man. And Ronnie Perkins. So stupid. So, so stupid. <laughs> yeah, um, I do expect that to get reduced somewhat, but he's going to miss some time, um, I think. So, yeah, I mean, if, if a team wants to knock off OU, this is the year to do it. It's still going to be a tall task, but I mean, I, I, I honestly, the way I look at it is it's 
unless Spencer Radler is hugely disappointing, it's really going to be more or less, you know, is there some, you know, quarantining for random games that just yeah. kills OU? Um, that's probably a bad word to use, but um, <laughs> and, but it really just destroys their depth, I guess. So, and um, just we'll oh, sorry, sorry. And even then, I guess you you really couldn't look at that as oh, we beat OU. It was really uh, you know block of the draw kind of. <laughs> Yeah. Um, going down OU's schedule here, going from, from top to bottom, what, what do you think about this? To me, Texas and Oklahoma State, those are probably the two biggest games on the schedule. Those are not the two games that scare me the most in terms of OU potentially you know, taking a loss here or there. At Iowa State is a tough one. Spencer Rattler's first true road start, that place is going to be, you know, I know that it's not going to be full capacity, of course, but the fans up in Ames are going to be excited about that one. So Iowa State's always a tricky place to play. And then that back-to-back weekend where OU goes down to TCU, Gary Patterson always has the Horn Frogs ready to play. They're going to have an a, a awesome defense like always. And then the following weekend, going to Lubbock. OU has always had a tough time playing in Lubbock, no matter how good or bad the, the Red Raiders are. So having Alan Bowman back, um, I think that, you know, uh, at Iowa State, at TCU, at Texas Tech, those are probably the three games in which I'm a little, little bit more nervous on than, than everything else. Yeah, I will say getting Iowa State first weekend of October is better. You know, we're probably going to get better weather, so we're not going to have to deal with <laughs> cold or wind as much as we normally would. And then TCU having Max uh, Duggan looks like he's probably not going to have a chance at playing this year. Um, due to his heart condition. So I, I think that game looks a lot less scary for me now. Texas Tech is is very interesting. I don't know what to think of them. I, I know Alan Bowman's good, but I, I don't know what else they have to work with. Um, and I, I know the OU's defense is going to be a lot better prepared than we were in 2018. Uh, so um, I'm not as worried about that. I'm really worried about getting through Iowa State and Texas. And then, you know, I kind of look at, you know, we don't lose games in November and uh, TCU doesn't look nearly as scary as it did before. Cool. cool. Well, uh, we can agree. OU, Oklahoma State, Big 12 championship game, Bedlam times two for 2020. We'll definitely be excited to see that happen this year. So, um, and lastly, Offensive Player of the Year in the Big 12, who you got? This one was a little bit tougher for me. I wasn't sure if people might be a little bit burned out on – OU quarterbacks at this point but you know I do think Spencer Rattler is going to come in and play really well and I it's almost like an expectation that he'll be a Heisman contender and if he does that I don't think it'll be that hard to do this season yeah uh, but if he does do that it's basically going to be a shoe-in uh, the only other comp, uh, competitor I really see is is probably Brock Purdy I think he's going to put up some nice stats Spencer Sanders, I also consider a little bit, but I uh, just too too risky to pick that one. I was going back and forth between Spencer Rattler, of course. I know he's brand new, but it's it's OU's system. It's Lincoln Riley's your coach. I think I think that he's going to put up really good numbers. And if if OU wins the conference and you know they're top five team at the end of the year, how are you not going to give it to that guy? Uh, mm-hmm. Ch- Chuba Hubbard was the other one that that I kind of sh- kind of was going back and forth with. You know, coming off a two thousand yard rushing season, I think that his production will kind of take a step back 
Um, I think that large in part last year, the, the reason that he was able to, you know, accumulate so many yards other than the fact that he's so damn good. They really had to rely on him last year when they lost Tylen Wallace, that ACL. And Spencer Sanders, you know, wasn't taking care of the football the, the best. So they were really able to rely on him. But OSU's got, you know, Spencer Sanders going into his second year, the weapons that they've got on offense. Um, I, I'm going to go with uh, Spencer Rattler. So, again, no, try not to be biased, but I trust Lincoln Riley and the talent of that kid. So, give me Rattler for Offensive Player of the Year. So, uh, well, let's move on to our final segment here. We actually uh, had this question sent in to us, which I thought was kind of kind of interesting. I'd never really thought about this before. But uh, the question is, Adam, if you could invite four athletes, dead or alive, to a dinner party at your house, who are the four people – that are going to be sitting at your dinner table. Just start with, we'll start with the first sure. one. Kind of go back and forth here. Go back and forth. Okay. So I didn't really put a particular order as like most desirable, least desirable or whatever, but I just started throwing down names as I thought of them. And so uh, my first choice is Rhett Bomar um, for a couple of different reasons. Uh, first, uh, I want to know, I want to know, you know, how things went down, uh, what his opinions are, what his regrets are. Um, just in the situation of being kicked off the OU team, things like that. Um, I also know that he was around a little bit uh, for summer workouts with Sam Bradford, so it'd be uh, it'd be cool to hear his perspective on that. Um, I know he also got in trouble uh, even before he was at Big Red, um, where I think he was was caught with a beer underage at a Hornets uh, Oklahoma City Hornets game. Um, <laughs> so you know he likes to party, so uh, I'm sure he would be he'd be fun. I would, I would definitely like to kind of pick his brain and kind of figure out what went down uh, during all that mm-hmm. uh, a few years For ago. Sure. So, uh, again, I didn't rank these in any particular order. Um, first one for me would probably be Michael Jordan. Uh, I know that one of the things that I've always, you know, kind of been, I've always been a team LeBron guy, but again, never really growing up having a chance to watch Jordan play. I've always thought that LeBron was the greatest. That really took a turn for me when the Last Dance documentary came out. I thought that that was extremely well done really highlighting not just how good Michael was as a basketball player because, you know, his skills were second to none and probably still are, but just the mental toughness and that killer instinct that he had that, honestly, I don't know if we've seen a basketball player, you know, before his time or or even in today's age that has that same mental, you know, toughness and, you know, that tenacity to where I'm going to do anything and everything that it takes to win the game. So I'd love to, you know, kind of pick his brain, hear some stories, you know, talk about, you know, what what made him so successful and his upbringing. And Michael Jordan would be uh, definitely be at my table for sure. Yeah, I love it. Uh, the second one I have uh, is Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Um, not <laughs> – not as well known for his uh, athletic ventures, um, but he did play for uh, the University of Miami uh, on their football team and then also did some professional wrestling. Um, but uh, I think it'd be awesome just to get to know him. Seems like a fun guy. And now he actually owns the XFL uh, along with some other partners. So um, <laughs> kind of a unique, a unique career for him uh, for sure. I feel like I would just get into a habit of asking him about movies, actors, actors that he's worked with. I'd want him to bring Kevin Hart, but <laughs> you could you could definitely have a lot of good fun conversations with with The Rock, and uh, maybe he could keep up with you in the weight room. So maybe uh, have uh, have him over for sure. Uh, number two for me, uh, I went with Tiger Woods. Um, 
I've always been a huge golf fan. To me, there's nobody that's greater for the, that's been greater, um, not only in his playing performance, but the impact that he's had on that sport, especially from a money standpoint. With he kind of you know changed the game as far as how golfers on on tour were being compensated, um, and just like I said, he's a 15-time major champion, has over 80 wins. He just tran you know he just you know transcended the sport from the following. And uh, he really, you know, he made golf cool for, for the non-golfing, you know, fans. So uh, would love to pick his brain, you know, on and off the course, kind of some of the things that, you know, he got himself into and, you know, re- what really makes him tick, you know, what, what's going on between the ears, uh, you know, when, when he's playing around the golf. So Tiger Woods and Michael Jordan are two for me so far. Yeah, so third on my list is Blake Griffin. Um, he's a guy that has done stand-up comedy. He's kind of a goofy, funny dude. So, um, you know, he'd be fun to party with. Uh, he wouldn't take things <laughs> too seriously. Um, so he, he's third on my list. Also, um, you know, one of the, one of the best players in OU basketball history. Um, and uh, he's been injured a lot recently in the NBA, but I think he's, he's expanded his game a lot. And um, hopefully he can, can stick around and continue to play at a high level, um, even if he is a, a Detroit Piston. <laughs> Well, I definitely know, you know, us being OU fans, what he did in his time here at OU. There was probably other than Zion. I mean, before Zion, was there really a more exciting player to watch with, you know, all the highlight dunks and the the high-flying, you know, acrobatic moves that he'd do? You know, Blake Griffin, he was fantastic yeah. college, fantastic college career for sure. I'd agree with that, yeah. So, number three for me um, – I wanted to incorporate a baseball player. That was always my favorite sport growing up. So um, a baseball player that I always kind of looked up to and, and really followed was Alex Rodriguez. Um, again, didn't probably didn't have the best inning to his career with all the, you know, the steroids and blah, blah, blah. We, we won't focus on that. But um, the career that he had with the, with the Mariners, onto the Rangers, and then finishing his time up with the Yankees, you know, having him, I think that he'd be a, an awesome person to, you know, just sit there and bullshit with and, talk about all his business ventures, you know, hell he's, he's with JLo now. And yeah, (laughs) you you could definitely pick his brain and talk about a lot of good things. So A-Rod's number three for me. Um, And Adam, who is the fourth person that is going to round out the uh, Adam Jacquez famous dinner party? Yeah. So I went around a lot of different angles on this one and um, didn't have anyone that was like, that's the one like right off the bat or anything, but I'm very excited to hear your explanation (laughs) and reasonings why. So uh, I ended up choosing Sydney Romero. Um, And part of the reason why is I, I think she's probably one of the more um, underappreciated OU athletes, at least, especially in the last 10 years. I mean, two times world series champion, uh, two times all American 2019 uh, player of the year in the, uh, in the big 12. And, um, she was just a complete all around player, you know, whether it was fielding or hitting, uh, provided a lot of leadership, um, for those teams as well. And, uh, and when, when have you ever seen, uh, anyone on the softball team not having a good time? So, you know, <laughs> she'd be fun to hang out with. Um, and of course, shoot or shoot. So there you go. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I considered, uh, I considered a few other people, you know, um, Maggie Nichols, I, I mean, she's probably considered maybe the best female athlete in OU history or maybe even the best overall athlete in OU history. 
Um, decided against that just because I, I, I didn't want it to be something that was like a serious conversation, which it <laughs> seems like that would be. Uh, and so I, I was wanting to have fun at my party. So I went with, uh, I went with Sid. Okay. Follow up to that. Ha- do you follow Sidney Romero on Instagram and have you slid into the DMs? I have not. Okay. <laughs> and I do not follow her. <laughs> okay. Uh, Maggie would definitely be a good one too. When you think about all, all the things that, that she's been through and, you know, she's, you know, definitely the, the most accomplished, you know, women's athlete and honestly, any athlete period. <laughs> Thanks man. Any athlete period, uh, especially, you know, not just in her sport, but um, all of sports in its entirety. So uh, that's a good, that's a good four. Number four for me. Um, this was probably the easiest one for me to pick, and I'm going to tell you why. Uh, Connor McGregor, number four for me, or number number four for me, and all the all the antics, all the shit talking, all the not the fact that he's you know he's a you know one of the best mixed martial artists in America or in the world for that fact. But I absolutely love that love that dude's story. You know, grew up. He was living on welfare in poverty. He was a plumber, driving two hours a day to and from work, and finally just woke up one day and said, "Screw it! Like this is not what I want to do. I want to be a you know I want to be a world champion in this sport. It's something that I love. I'm going to quit my job and and pursue that. And the self belief um, that 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 dude has, the belief in himself and the the work ethic, um, would definitely. Uh, like to pick his brain and, you know, to talk to him about, you know, what's gotten him to this point, not just with, you know, his, his fighting skills, but also he could probably tell you some pretty crazy stories too, uh, kind of behind the scenes stuff. So uh, Conor McGregor, Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, and who's number four for me? Alex Rodriguez. So those are the four for me rounding out my dinner party. Nice. I think I, uh, I think I might do some party hopping. <laughs> okay. sounds good well did have you have you got anything else i know that we're uh it's been it's been a really good first episode is there anything else you kind of want to touch on or uh you want to kind of sign out of here and get over to this denver utah game thunder up thunder up tomorrow man. night let's do game, it game seven like i said we'll be watching and uh next week we'll be back uh we're it's it's almost here ladies and gentlemen we are less than two weeks away from football season kicking up here in norman uh, Adam and I will be back next week talking uh, all things OU football, breaking down each position group, giving our thoughts and takes on, on what we think is going to come this year and uh, all the expectations for, for Lincoln Riley's team here in Norman. So, But, again, excited to be doing this, excited to, to have you on here, Adam, and we're going we're gonna to have some fun, have some guests, and we're just going to have a good time and roll with it. So, um, again, appreciate you. We'll uh, talk to you next week right here on the Mainline Podcast. So cheers, folks. <laughs>